When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Hey, Dustin Hawkinsmith here with another episode of the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live. And we're looking at the latest in Penn State football. Sitting here, it's a Wednesday afternoon. We're leading up to Maryland kickoff on Saturday. That's a 3.30 p.m. kick at College Park, and it's going to be on FS1. We'll do a quick tour of the news so far this week and what will be coming on Penn Live the rest of the few days between now and Maryland. Obviously, storyline number one across college football, this week's first release of the college football playoff rankings. Number one through four on that list, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon. So the Big Ten sneaks the team in there right now in that Spartans group led by Mel Tucker, coming off a huge win, exciting win over the Michigan Wolverines in a rivalry game. So they're sitting there at number three with some control over what's going to happen to them the rest of the way. The big question, of course, with these rankings is what do they mean right now? And I think in a lot of cases, there's not a lot of significance in these rankings. There are some indications about how the college football playoff committee feels and maybe some teams that are in position to either move up or to possibly get slighted in the end. One other interesting dynamic here, Ohio State coming in at number five. A lot of people looking at that head-to-head matchup with Oregon, where Oregon beat them early in the year. The Buckeyes have really found themselves. They went through a little bit of drama on the defensive side of the ball. They're starting to find their top form. Good win, challenging win over Penn State, 33-24 at home on Saturday. They've got some big matchups ahead, including that rivalry with Michigan, as well as a matchup with Michigan State. If Ohio State can navigate all that, I don't expect a lot of trouble in the Big Ten championship game, whoever ends up coming out of that West division. So Ohio State in good position here. Uh, Big Ten, better resume overall than the Pac-12 with Oregon. I think more and more as Ohio State goes on, they show who they really are. They're going to kind of make that matchup, that that head-to-head with Oregon, not mean quite as much. Uh, Cincinnati coming in at number six. That was one of the biggest stories of these rankings. And I think there's just a suggestion here that Cincinnati probably doesn't have control over its own collective destiny. They're going to need some losses to happen ahead of them, even though they're unbeaten. Uh, Gary Barta from the committee basically came out and said, who has Cincinnati beaten other than Notre Dame? And there might be a little bit of truth to that, but I think that same question probably applies to a lot of teams who are ranked in the top 10 right now. 
Uh, so we'll see what happens. There, There is definitely a threat there of a group of five team once again being left out of the four-team playoff. In fact, I would be surprised if that doesn't happen down the stretch here. Cincinnati, just there, there's a lot of baggage there with, with the committee and not having a great deal of respect for the teams that they play. Cincinnati has gone ahead and put together, I think, one of the better schedules that they possibly could under the circumstances. But right now, it just doesn't look like it's enough. They're going to need some teams ahead of them to lose. And they're probably going to need teams like Michigan at number seven, for example, or Oklahoma. You know, they're going to need some teams to not win too much down the stretch, too. So, in other words, Cincinnati, if they keep doing what they're doing, there looks like a better than average chance of that not working out for them in terms of a college football playoff appearance. Um, I think uh, that wouldn't come as a great surprise to a lot of people. But I think it's one of the fundamental things that we learned through this first rankings release. Yeah, a lot of these rankings don't mean much, but I think the committee's viewpoint on Cincinnati is a fundamental truth that should carry the rest of the way. It'll be interesting to see. This is one of the better group of five teams that we've seen since the playoff was enacted in 2014, and still it might not be enough. Two other side notes here when it comes to the Big Ten. Uh, First of all, number seven, Michigan uh, in in the rankings there. Number 20, Minnesota. Number 21, Wisconsin. And number 22, Iowa. Uh, Penn State has played both Wisconsin and Iowa. They've split those matchups. Wisconsin uh, has a little bit of momentum going right now, I suppose you could say. They've won four games in a row. And Minnesota, the same thing. Their resume is not strong, but they're 6-2. and They, too, have won four games in a row. And I think on paper with the committee, they seem to think that that indicates momentum going in the right direction for both of these teams. So that maybe that's important to them. Maybe they didn't do a ton of homework on the on the bottom few few teams in the top 25 right now. But I just don't see on what planet Penn State isn't a better team than both of them now. If you're not in the actual mix for the college football playoff, which none of those teams are, including Iowa at number 22, how much does that really mean? We'll see. Obviously, also Penn State with games against Michigan at home and at Michigan State. There's some control there in terms of how they get the committee to view them. But in the end, if you're not uh, if you're not in the flirting with that top four, let's say. I don't think that the that the rankings mean a whole lot for you. They're coming at number 22 in the AP poll. All that despite losing three games in a row. I think some of these voters in the coaches poll as well, they see the on tape what this Penn State team can do, which you saw in a losing effort at Ohio State. And I think the Iowa loss, obviously, with Sean Clifford exiting that one in the second quarter, and then that funk carrying over into Illinois when Sean Clifford was not himself, I think there's a little bit of a pass there for Penn State when it comes to their actual results and and possibly the thought that they can be disruptive to Michigan and or Michigan State. Uh, James Franklin met with reporters on Tuesday. Uh, not a lot of new stuff came out of that so far, and I'm sure you know uh, Bob Flounders and David Jones have covered some of that ground already here on Penn Live. They did their episode of the Blue White Breakdown earlier this week. Um, James Franklin said that the Penn State battled. Those were his words to, to uh, describe how his team played. A really nice rebound effort when it comes down to it. Defied some expectations. And this is just the sport of college football, I think, where you can have one team just do a complete 180 from one week to the next. Illinois, a lot of the ingredients were there. I think the bye week and the timing of that probably didn't serve them all that well. Uh, Sean Clifford was still banged up. 
that was just ugly no matter how you slice it. The run game struggles were still there. The run game struggles were still there at Ohio State. But I think what we've learned over these past few weeks for sure is that when Sean Clifford is dialed in, when he's seeing things, when he's understanding what the defense is trying to do to him, when he's on the same page with Mike Yersich, on the same page with his receivers, he's such a good decision maker, which has cha- he's, has changed and evolved for him over the years as, as a starter, his third year now as a starter. And he can make all, a lot of the throws on the field. He can help mask some of those deficiencies. But that deficiency is still very much there. Uh, Bob Flanders and David Jones asked a really fair question on the blue-white breakdown this week, which is who deserves more of the blame in this situation, the offensive line or the running backs? And I think probably the easy answer is that both of those groups deserve some blame for that. James Franklin has been begging for his offensive line to be more physical several times so far this year, and I think the message hasn't quite uh, come through so far. They've done a pretty good job in the passing game, done a good job in pass protection, but there's just not a lot of room to run for these running backs. And then with them, I think with the running backs, you just don't really have a a complete back. You don't have a very dynamic back on the roster. You don't have a true number one, which is why you've seen James Franklin and Mike Yersich uh, and Jaywan Sider bounce around between their options. Noah Kane sometimes, who's looked sluggish, uh, I think, as he comes back from the injury that cost him almost all of 2020. Kevon Lee, has, he's put the ball on the, on the turf. He has not quite looked like the same back as he was as a freshman in the second half of last year when he really emerged. I'm of the belief that Kevon Lee really needs some runway, and I think he needs some volume in terms of how many carries he gets in order to find that top form. And the way that they're using their running backs right now, that just hasn't been a possibility. Uh, John Lovett, you saw come on against Ohio State. He flashed some early. He's certainly quicker. He's got some experience coming from Baylor. He's a veteran guy. But he ultimately met the same fate as they average, I think, 1.1 yard per carry in the end against Ohio State. Not good enough, but I think depending on the team, Penn State's passing game is, is dynamic enough that they're able to make up for that. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Uh, Franklin also said that they rose to the occasion. They just ultimately came up short against Ohio State. He mentioned also the timeliness of the defense and specifically when it, when it came to a fumble-fumble exchange early in that game at Ohio State, said the defense came on the field, allowed Penn State to stop any sign of momentum for Ohio State. They weren't able to flip the switch, get the crowd rowdy, and take control of the game because the defense stepped up. I also believe the offense stepped up on a bunch of occasions there, three or four I think early in this game, where Ohio State was doing some field position play trying to flip the field, Ryan Day was. But Penn State's offense, they weren't allowing Ohio State to do that, if anything, just by getting a few first downs. So all in all, I you know, I don't think we learned a ton from James Franklin so far. We're going to, I think, hear from him again uh, this evening, Wednesday, as well as some players and check out some practice. Uh, but can't argue with anything he said there. Penn State did battle, and they did come up short. There was a moral victory at a time where it just ended up going down as their third straight loss. But I think the signs are there that say they can be disruptive, that they can maybe split between Michigan and Michigan State. They can give both of those teams a good run for their money. So we'll see what happens with them. 
Uh, item number three I wanted to touch on really quick was Bob Flounders. His four keys for Penn State, Maryland. Uh, I might be biased, but I think this piece of analysis, it's short and sweet, but I think it's a, a must-read each and every week. Uh, Bob kind of goes behind the scenes. So his four keys for for Penn State. Uh, the offensive line, they gave up seven sacks to this Maryland team. Just a, a debacle of a loss last season, 35-19. Maryland, you know, offensively broke a bunch of big plays. Every play they ha- they scored on was, was a big play, 20-plus yards, I believe. But seven sacks, you can't let that happen. Maryland, you know, they've gone through some injury stuff, but I think they're still a pretty dangerous team, especially on their home field. Uh, they're five and three. Penn State's five and three. Rakeem Jarrett, uh, Penn, or Maryland's wide receiver, imperative that Penn State slows him down. Big time recruit, maybe one of the biggest, if not the biggest, of Mike Loxley's time there. He went for a buck forty-four last year. Uh, he's got five touchdowns already. Penn State's pass defense, I think, is head and shoulders above where it was at the same time as last year. So I don't think they're really threatened. Um, to the same extent they were last year when, remember, Rakeem Jarrett scored basically on the same long touchdowns, crossing pattern where there's just miscommunication. I would not be surprised if Maryland comes out and tries some of that same stuff until Penn State proves that they can slow that down. Uh, Penn State's success on third down, I think, was worth noting. Bob notes it there. 11 out of 18 uh, on third down last weekend at Ohio State. A really promising sign there. Uh, they went into it with a 33% conversion rate. I think that all speaks to the inability to get the run game going, the steadiness with which they're behind the chains. They're facing second and eights. They're facing third and six and sevens. So creating more manageable situations will be imperative, I think, against this Maryland team. Uh, Maryland does and can be prone to make some mistakes, to give up some points. But I think staying on schedule will be a big part of that. And I think Penn State, frankly, if they get their run game going, that's great. But if they're able to do that with a passing game, short passing game to try to keep the chains moving, that's just as well. Uh, Penn State, as Bob notes, has had some success in College Park. 14-1 and against the Terps uh, in, in Maryland. The only time they lost was in 1961. Huge margins in the last couple of them, including 2019 when Penn State was actually an underdog to that Maryland team, which I believe was unbeaten at the time. So I think being able to travel and take that that skill on the road, uh, it's been present in this series, going to need to be present again on Saturday. 3.30 p.m. kick once again in College Park. Uh, last thing here, uh, what we've got on Penn Live and what's coming up the remainder of the week uh, Wednesday night, I would expect some practice coverage, some notes. Uh, we'll hear some from some players and coaches. Uh, so look for that. Daniel Gallen will be leading that charge for us. Thursday morning, our weekly predictions roundtable. Everybody on staff here, David Jones, Bob Flanders, Daniel Gallen. That's our beat trio. Joe Hermit, our photographer. Uh, I get involved as well. And we've got a couple guests from the Maryland beat giving their two cents. I think, you know, Penn State's a double-digit favorite over Maryland, so I think the drama there will not be so much if Penn State is going to win, according to our predictors, but more so if they're going to cover that point spread. So look for that early Thursday morning on Penn Live. Uh, lastly, another piece of podcast content. Uh, Daniel Gallon and I will be getting into what came out of Ohio State, what's come out of this week, what to expect from Maryland. Look for that early Friday morning on Penn Live. Then, of course, a lot of analysis and opinion coming up 
uh, Friday and Saturday leading up to the Maryland game. Penn State looking to snap that three-game losing streak. They're hitting the road, going to College Park to do that against uh, the team that's, uh, that started the year with a lot of promise, as Maryland has been prone to do under Mike Loxley, but they've scuffled a bit, thanks in, in some part at least uh, to injury. So that's it for me for this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. I will be back with you later this week, flying solo once again to preview the weekend of games in the Big Ten. Just to look around, around the league, uh, what the schedule has to offer, maybe get into Penn State, Maryland a little bit more. As always, you can find analysis and news from our entire beat team by checking out penlive.com slash Football. That'll run all the way up through Saturday's 3.30 p.m. kickoff at Maryland. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey.